Welcome to the Salt Company kickoff. We are so pumped that all of you guys are here. I want to let you in on a little something before you guys take a seat. Salt Company, we are a group that gathers every single week to celebrate Christ because he has radically changed everything about our life. And I want to say to all the different people who might be in the crowd, whether you're someone who knew you were going to be jumping in and being a part of Salt Company when you came to college, or whether you're someone that your friend dragged you here, okay, and you have never been to a worship service like this, I want to say whoever you are, you are welcome to be here wherever you're at. Guys, we are so pumped to be celebrating with you all. Go ahead, have a seat. Make room for everybody. That's amazing. All right, guys. So my, my name is Drake. I am the director of Salt Company here at the U of M. And here's the thing. I, I love this exact thing. Like, I love the fall. I love the energy of students all coming back to campus. Like, people that are just pumped to hang out with people. People that are looking for community. And here's the thing. After we've been out the last week or so, okay, we've done Sasquatch Hunt, Wiffle Ball Home Run Derby, all those different things that maybe you got plugged in on. A ton of new freshmen on campus, right? Raise your hand if you're a freshman. You might not want to show it. Oh, come on. That's so sweet. Okay. You guys are going through one of your most wild transitions in life thus far. And here's the tough thing about being a freshman, right? You are transitioning to be a freshman without looking like a freshman, right? So that, that's a thing as you're coming into college, you quickly learn what are the things that make me look like a freshman, all right? So you know the lanyard, right? That's first and foremost. You learn quickly, okay, I'm going to take that thing off. If you're still here with it, that's okay. Okay, you're welcome here. Um, another thing for freshmen, you kind of just look lost on campus, right? You know, you're like trying to figure out this huge campus, way bigger than high school, and you just look a little lost. And so you try with everything in you to figure out campus as quickly as possible. And so you spend the days before your first class, you're walking from your dorm to your class, you're walking from class to class, you're trying to do everything you can to make it so that you're not lost, right? Or maybe you're putting those classrooms in your GPS, okay? So you're pulling up Google Maps, not Apple Maps, all right, Google Maps, and you are finding your way to classes. Why? Why is there this, this angst in your heart of like, man, I don't want to be lost? No one wants to admit that they're lost, right? That, that is the truth of all of us. Like, no one wants to admit that you're lost. And so you take all these steps to try to figure it out. And here's the thing, okay, the freshmen or the new students to the University of Minnesota, you might recognize this or this might connect to you, but here's something that everyone who's ever lived can connect with. No one wants to be lost in what you're living for. And let's just define lost as wandering through life with no purpose. Okay, and that can seem like a big topic to talk about. Some of you are like, Drake, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Like things are going well for me right now. And here's the thing I think that's actually true for you in that is that maybe you know the answer to a couple simple questions in life. Like you know the great things that are ahead of you for the next two weeks. 
Like, you know who the goats are going to be beating this weekend. You know what your plans are this Saturday night. All right, you know the next pair of sneakers that you want to purchase. You know what's better between Chick-fil-A or Cane's. Chick-fil-A every time. We know that, right? And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know some of these simple things that are kind of two weeks out in your life. And so because you know those simple questions, you feel like all is well. But here's the thing. Even in that, you ignore the biggest question that you could ask yourself. And that's how do I live a life that's worth living? And maybe you ignore it because you know if you dipped into that question, you would realize you have no clue how to answer that. No one wants to admit that they're lost in the things that they're living for. And so we want to be the people who have it figured out. We might even think of great answers to those questions. Like, what are you going to do with your life? What's your major? Sorry for the undecided ones out there. Like, or maybe what's your five-year plan? You're like, I don't know, okay? But you make up answers. Like for me, all throughout high school, I was going to be a doctor, right? Okay, I was pre-med for two weeks and then I bounced, right? Like, but it sounded really good. So that's what I said because I wanted to look great on the outside. Because no one wants to admit that they're lost. Like, what would that say about me? What would people think about me if they knew that I was lost in what I was living for? And so tonight, I want to address that very question. What happens when someone is lost? Okay, so we're going to go to a story from Luke 15. So if you have a Bible or your phone, open up to Luke 15. Because here at Salt Company, we believe that God's voice is revealed in his word. And so we cherish this text. We want to open to it. But if you don't have a Bible, that's totally okay. We'll have the words on the screen and also some free Bibles for you to get on your way out. We'd love for you to have one of those. But let's go to Luke 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were, draw- were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so right away, as we hear this story, we we realize that there's two different characters that are approaching Jesus in this moment. Okay, we've got the tax collectors, we've got the Pharisees. We've got those that are completely lost and those who aren't lost at all. They've got it all figured out. And I think if you've maybe been around the church for a little bit, your reaction might be to cheer on the tax collector and to hate the Pharisee. But this would have actually been completely flipped in the day of Jesus. Because who were tax collectors? Okay, it's pretty easy to figure out what they did for a living. Um, But they were Jewish people that collected taxes from their Jewish neighbors. And so it seems simple enough, but they were actually collecting these taxes that were all going towards funding the Roman military that was seeking to oppress the Jewish people. So you imagine, you find out your neighbor is collecting taxes to help fund the military that is oppressing your family. But more than that, they weren't just seeking to collect these taxes. They would actually add a little bit more on top for themselves. And so what the rhythm would be is that they would go to these different families, 
they would ask for whatever they owed. So say $1,000 they owed in taxes, they would say, give me $2,000, and they would get everything else from that. Everyone in the Jewish community hated tax collectors and saw them as the worst in society. But what about the other group that's in this scene, the Pharisees and the scribes? In this day, the Pharisees would have been viewed as like the pinnacle of human respect, right? They did all the right things. They knew all the verses. They prayed often. On the outside, they had it all together. So maybe this was the type of person who would have had straight A's. Like maybe this was the type of person that would have had the best grades, the greatest resume, full of experience and community involvement and was a direct admit to Carlson, right? Like maybe the Pharisee was actually an incredibly great person, but they actually just were incredibly self-righteous. They relied all on their own selves to be good enough for God. And these people did not associate with the lost. Like they didn't want anything to do with the lost people, right? Like, cause if they hung out the lost, what would that say about them? They were the ones that had it all together And so there's one group that's lost and one that's not. But Jesus was letting the tax collectors and sinners draw near to him. And it caused the people that were the Pharisees and scribes to grumble. Like, I don't even know what that means, but they were grumbling. And they said these words, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This word for receive is actually this idea of hospitality, like welcoming someone into your life, into an intimate distance with you. And so these guys were like, you don't associate with people that are lost. What would that say about you? But even more so, like who is Jesus to let these people dine at the same table as him? Like he didn't just associate himself. He actually pulled them in so closely that they were sharing meals around a table Like, this sounds like a junior high lunchroom, right? Like, these people are like, I can't believe you're eating at that table with those people. And so Jesus, hearing this junior high grumbling, shares with them a parable. And a parable is a a form of a story that Jesus tells that gives people a window into what his world is like and how it is so far different than the world that we're in. And those that were interested would actually lean in to hear more about this story. And so Jesus shares this in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And so Jesus shares a story that would relate to everyone that's there. He shares a story about the importance of a shepherd not losing any single one of his sheep. And like when he says, what man of you, every single Pharisee would be like, obviously no one. Like no one would be a shepherd that would let his lost sheep just roam lost forever. But actually the shepherd would risk everything to find that sheep. Like he would fend off bears and lions and kill them with his own hands in order to find that sheep and to bring it back into his fold. And so the Pharisees understood the importance of finding lost sheep. And I want to ask the question, as I'm sitting with this text, 
why did the sheep wander off? Like, sheep are honestly some of the dumbest and most helpless animals out there, right? Why would they leave the care of their shepherd and wander off? Well, the sheep never set out to be lost. Because the sheep actually started with looking for something that was good and then slowly led the sheep away. And here's the thing. It is the same exact thing for you. No one here is looking to be lost in life. Like no one's like, hey, I want to be the person that's living for absolutely no purpose at all, right? So how does it happen? We realize that it starts off with us searching for something that seems good in the moment. And here's the thing, guys, we realize that the college campus offers so many different things. It offers so many different things that says like, this is what you want to live for. This is the good life that you've been hoping for. And all of these things seem great in the moment. And so the weekend scene promises drinking and to have a good time and sex to find satisfaction. The degree promises a career to give you status and complete financial security. Social media promises the attention and appreciation that your heart craves. But here's the question I want to ask you. As you look back over your life and you think about those different things, you think about, man, pursuing all the perfect grades, seeking the guy or girl to satisfy you. Have those things satisfied you thus far? And unfortunately, some of you look back and know that they haven't. Like some of you have felt the constantly growing pressure of needing to measure up day after day. Like you did well on that test, but you got to do well in the next one and the next one to make your parents proud. Like you fit into this friend group by putting on an image of someone that you're not, but you need to do that again and again. You have found the reality that you have tried so hard to be someone that you're not in order to fit in with other people. But then once you're isolated, all you realize is, man, how you don't actually measure up. Maybe all you can think about are all the things that you want to change about yourself. You look at all of the things that you feel like you fall short on, or maybe you've done some things that you never thought you would do. And as you reflect on that, your heart is just filled with guilt. But you have to play it off, right? Like you have to play it off like it wasn't a big deal, but you still wrestle with the guilt of that. And so now you're coming to college seeking it to be different. Like you're coming to this college campus hoping that things will change, and yet you are pursuing the very same things, hoping that it'll provide something different for you this time. And so if you're honest with yourself, you feel a little broken. And you come into a group like this where we're worshiping a holy God and you sit and say, man, if these people knew my story, if these people knew the things that I've done, they would question why I'm here. Like if Drake knew my past, he would wonder what am I doing in this crowd? And what Jesus wants you to see is that you are the lost sheep that you are the one that he's talking about in this story. And he has something very significant that he wants to share with you tonight. But we need to realize that he's also talking to another group, okay? He's sharing the story, trying to speak to those that are lost, but he's also speaking to the Pharisees. 
And as we read some of these Bible stories, I think it's important for us to look at the different characters and see, man, do I resemble any of that character? But here's the thing. No one is raising their hand saying, I'm like the Pharisee, right? Like no one's saying that I am the know-it-all. I am the self-righteous one that thinks I am perfect. Like no one is trying to say that. And honestly, people who are like the Pharisees and doing it on their own are most of the time blind to that reality because they just look at all the things that they've done well. But I think it is important that we sit with this and we ask ourselves, like, is there anything in our heart that resembles that of the Pharisee? And so a couple questions for you to think through. Is your source of confidence before God connected to what you have done? Like you look back over your life and you see all of the ways that you have been at church, you've had a perfect attendance. You look at all the ways that you have read all the right words. Let me pray. Father, we, yeah, we ask that you'd be with us here tonight as we sit with your text, God. We want to hear what you have for us. Help us to zero in to, to see the beauty that you are beholding in this text. Help us to be in awe of who you are and to celebrate the very character of you, God. Would we worship you here tonight, Jesus. We need you. Spirit, would you come and provide peace? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so is your source of confidence before God connected to what you have done? Like you look back at your church attendance, like you've been a part of youth group, you were a part of a high school youth group, like you know all the bright verses, you know all the answers, you've read the books, you've even got the t-shirts to prove it, right? Or how about are you someone who talks a lot about God, but spends very little time talking to God? Like you've got the friend group that you've been around the church scene and you talk about God a lot when you're with them, but when you're isolated on your own, it's very few times that you actually go to Jesus looking to grow in a relationship with him. Are you someone who is thinking about someone else who needs to hear this message right now more than you do? Like maybe you're coming in and you see some people from high school that you know are broken, that you realize, man, they need to hear this message and you're not actually thinking about yourself. Has Christianity been more about lifting up your own status than lifting high the name of Jesus? Because you can be someone who looks incredibly close to God on the outside, but is incredibly far from God in your heart. Does that describe any of you here tonight? And so where it first seems like the two categories that are approaching Jesus are those that are lost and those that aren't, what we really see is that the two categories are those that are lost and those who can't admit that they're lost. And so what we see is that everyone other than Jesus is lost in this story and everyone that's here tonight is lost as well. And maybe for the first time, some of you are realizing that you are lost. You don't know the purpose for your life. You don't know what to do before a holy God. And so let's go back to that initial question. What happens when someone admits that they're lost? Let's look back at the text. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he is found, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Okay, so Jesus is unfolding the incredible compassion that a shepherd has for his sheep. Like he's risking going out into bears and lions to save that one sheep. Like honestly, guys, I would have been like 99% seems pretty good. I think I'm going to stay. But this guy wants to pursue after that one lost sheep. And once he finds it, he rejoices, throws that sheep over his shoulder so that it can finally rest and brings it back into town, rejoicing, calling everyone in town to gather for a homecoming party. Dude loves his sheep right? But the more important thing about this story is that Jesus is letting the Pharisees and the tax collectors in on his heart for the lost. He's letting the lost people know that the lost people are the very ones that he came for, the very ones that he left heaven to come to earth for. And so Jesus is wanting us to see in this story, man, if this is how much compassion one lowly shepherd holds, can you imagine how much compassion an infinite God holds? If this is how far a shepherd is willing to go for his lowly sheep, can you imagine how far God is willing to go for you? Jesus is the great shepherd that saw you wandering and lost, pursuing after the pleasures of this world. And he left heaven to come down to earth to chase after you. And I love the wording at the end of verse four, that he is willing to go as far as it takes until he finds you. Like this is speaking to the relentless pursuit that God has for you, that he's not going to stop. He's going to keep chasing after you until you realize that you can be found in him that he was willing to come to this earth for the sole purpose of his life ending on a cross where he died in our place and took the wrath of his father that we deserve so that we could finally find rest. And so what is the result of you admitting that you're lost? You are a recipient of the compassionate, relentless pursuit of God. And here's the best thing about this story, guys. The Pharisees and the scribes thought it was absolutely absurd that Jesus would go so far to dine with sinners. But what they didn't know is that's not even close to how far he was actually gonna go. That Jesus didn't come to this earth just to dine with sinners, but actually to die for sinners like you and me that this story isn't ultimately about the lost sheep, but it's actually about the compassion that the shepherd has for his sheep. And I think that's important for us to see in this text. Because a lot of times when we think about our relationship with God, we start with I. Like we start with what I bring to the table. Like how good am I? Am I not good enough? But what we see is that this story isn't ultimately about how far off you are, but how far God was willing to go for you. And we look at this and we have to ask, like, how is Jesus able to use this language of rejoicing when him coming from heaven to earth meant he was going to die on a cross? Like, what was causing Jesus to rejoice? 
you were. Like the thought that you, who were once lost, could finally be found in him. The thought that you, being broken and imperfect, are actually invited into an everlasting relationship with God. Let's look at the text to see that very thing in verses 6 and 7. So, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay, so think back a little bit over your life, right? I want you to think back at one of those moments that you were home without the parents and you did something dumb, okay? So maybe you broke a TV, you put a hole in the wall, you invited friends to come over. But here's the thing, you knew your parents were coming home. And you had this like, gut feeling of what are they going to say when they get here? Like there's this lingering time that feels like an eternity of what are they going to say when they see this? How mad are they going to be when they hear about this? And here's the thing. I think that's a lot of times the way that we can view God. Like you look back at your story, you look back at the broken things in your life, and you say, man, I wonder what he's going to say about that. I wonder what he's going to think when he sees those broken areas of my life. But here's the truth. That might be your perspective, but that's not the Bible's. Because if you look at this scene, Jesus says that there would be nothing but celebration and rejoicing over the fact of one lost sheep coming back to follow him. That if you ask the question, like, what causes a party to storm the gates of heaven. It would be that one of you would realize that you are lost, that you would admit that you are lost here tonight and that you would commit, man, I want to follow this great savior. I want to follow someone like that. Here's the upside down thing about the kingdom of God. Where in this world, no one likes to admit that they're lost. With Jesus, it's those that admit that they're lost that actually draw near to him. That the more terrifying place isn't actually to be lost, but to be lost and act like you're not. Guys, all of us are broken. Like none of us can find the rest that our souls long for. And we've all wandered to things that make us feel incredibly empty. But if you're able to admit that, like that's the very person that Jesus welcomes in. And it, in a little bit, we're going to have our, our leaders that stand up and go to their different signs to get, for you guys to get plugged into connection groups. And here's what I want to say. All of those people are stories of broken people that realized their loss and found the freedom and the joy and the peace that's found in giving their life to Christ and pursuing Christ because he has welcomed them in. So what I want to say, if you're feeling broken tonight, welcome to the family. Nothing about us or about Salt Company is impressive all right? If you come long enough, like, we'll let you down, all right? But here's the thing. We gather to celebrate an incredible king. And that's what we want to do every single week that we want to draw you back to over and over. And so I want us to look back at the opening scene. Like the lost people and those that can't admit that they're lost drawing near to Jesus. What did the people who thought they had it all figured out grumble to Jesus? 
a line that was meant for his detriment, but actually served as the greatest compliment they could give him. A line that served as the greatest news for broken people like you and me. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The beauty of that message is that wherever you're at right now, you are as welcome right now to come to Christ as you ever will be. He has done everything in your place and he's inviting you to be a part of that family where you can have purpose, where you can have joy and satisfaction that lasts for eternity. And if this invitation is out for you, guys, why would you wait? If we look at this story and we see God display his incredible compassion, can you imagine what it would be like to get to know him? So as I invite the band to come back up on the stage, because we're going to gather again to worship this incredible king, as my invite is for you to continue to join us every single week as we celebrate that incredible Savior. Like if you're broken, that you would realize that Jesus, in Jesus, you can find healing. If you're tired of trying to be perfect over and over, only in Jesus will you find the rest that you're looking for. If you've been looking for that guy or that girl to satisfy the deepest longings of your affection and attention, you would realize that Jesus has so much more for you. And if not, I want you to know that Salt Company always has its doors wide open for you to come in and hear about this great Savior again. That you would come and see the incredible glory of Christ who has invited you back into his everlasting kingdom. That you would come and see the man, the Savior, the Lord, the Redeemer, the King, the one who receives sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, we gather tonight to worship you right here on Kaufman Lawn. We want your name to ring throughout this campus. Jesus, we want you to be made much of because you have done everything in our place. God, we realize that our life is not about our faithfulness to you, but actually your faithfulness to us. And so God, I pray for those that are actually feeling lost tonight, that they realize, man, I, I don't measure up. I don't have my act together, that I try really, really hard, but I fall on my face time and time again, that they would realize that there is a good and gracious God that they can run to, that you have done everything to welcome them in to your everlasting kingdom of joy and peace, and that they are as welcome to come to you right now as they will ever be. They don't have to clean up their act. They don't have to do better, but they look to you and they raise their hands, praising you for what you have done. And so, Father, would this continue to just be a weekly celebration where we look to you constantly? Like we're not impressive, but we lift our eyes to see the glory and the beauty of who you are. You're worthy of our worship, so let's continue to worship you here tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.